Will you pray with me? Father, we rise and come to you because in your Son you have come to us. You have invaded our space, you have entered our world, you have made your presence known, not only in the years that Christ lived here on earth, but even in the years since, especially today, you have made your presence known among your people and you have kept your promise that when we gather in your name, you will be here. And so, Lord, we celebrate your presence and we wait for your embrace And we ask, O God, that all that you purpose for us as a community and also as individuals, that all of that will be fulfilled to the glory of our Father. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good. All the time. Do you ever play God? Heard that expression? I don't want to play God. Playing God has become a a game, an actual game that uh, people use on an Apple iPhone. It's called the Pocket God. Here's the description of it. What kind of God would you be? Benevolent or vengeful? You play Pocket God and discover the answer within yourself. On a remote island, you are the all-powerful God that rules over the primitive islanders. How will you use God? Your power. You can bring new life and you can take it away just as quickly. And some of the options on the game are interesting. They include throwing islanders into volcanoes, using islanders as shark bait, bowling for islanders with a boulder, or creating earthquakes to destroy the islanders' villages. The designers seem to have a very negative portrait of God. Sounds pretty capricious to me in the uses of power. But I remember last week when I left you, we were saying that Jesus said all power in heaven and on earth resides in, belongs to me. And because of that power, I have something for you to do. Would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. What would we do with All power in heaven and on earth. God has an idea. If we're going to use the greatest power in all the world, at least we ought to use it for the greatest purpose in the world. Would you stand with me as we discover that purpose? Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You may be seated. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The question is, what is the main thing? I've heard preachers use that expression and say, and the main thing is evangelism. And in part, they are right. You say, well, if evangelism is not the most important thing, then what is? And you will see it in this passage 
where you find Jesus asking us as his disciples to do four things. And they look like they have equal weight. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. But in the structure of the sentence in Greek, there is a clue that we must not miss. Only one of those verbs is a command. The others are participles that modify the command. And I know you woke up this morning saying, I hope he gives us a Greek grammar lesson. But stay with me when I say that the one command of the four is not go. Isn't that interesting? It's not baptize. It's not teach. It is make disciples. If the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, well, the main thing is making disciples. And to do that, we're going to have to go and we're going to have to baptize and we're going to have to teach. And you'll notice again, especially if you have the King James Version, that the word all is used four times here. I know I'm killing you, but stay with me here. The word all is used four times. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So you are to make disciples of all nations, and you're to teach them all things, everything in the NIV, all things that I have commanded you, and I am with you all ways. Now, if you want to use the greatest power in the world and receive the greatest promise in the world, we'll talk about this next week, that God is with us, then we ought to do the greatest purpose in the world, which is to make disciples by baptizing and by teaching. And I invite us to experience that power. Kirby John Caldwell, a pastor friend of mine here in town, says there are two great moments in your life. The one moment is when you're born. The second moment is when you figure out why you were born. You who uh, lead businesses understand that without an understanding of the purpose of your business, you're just sort of spinning your wheels. And so the, the two questions we ask of our businesses, we also ask of the church, what is your business? Jesus answers, make disciples. How is business? Are we making disciples? And to do this, God has given us all the power that we need so that we can accomplish His great purpose. You have sometimes sat in by television on conversations between coaches and their players. And the coaches are telling their players, this is the moment, this is the game, at the final four in basketball, in the final two, you know, this is. And they go in the locker room and the coach says, this is why you're here. And I remember reading this week, Herb Brooks, who was the coach of that, that Olympic hockey team for the United States back in 1980, the miracle on ice. And they say he walked into that locker room and said to those men, that group of men who had already shocked the world by, by overcoming numerous obstacles, and now they'd come to the final game against Finland. We sometimes think it was Russia. That was, the, that was the penultimate game. But the ultimate game was against Finland. And he said to them, you were born for this. For this moment, you started skating when you were small children. And all of it was building to this moment. This is your moment. Don't miss this moment. Do what you were born to do. In the last days of Jesus' life, he has invited his disciples to meet him on a hillside in Galilee, likely the same hillside where he taught them the Sermon on the Mount and began by saying, blessed are. And Jesus now says to them as he brings it all full circle, now go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. We have the authority, he says, 
to go. We have the power to move. G.K. Chesterton said, I'm not interested in a church that moves with the world. I want to be a part of a church that moves the world. Jesus envisioned just such a church that would go and be on the move. And as we go, literally, if you think of it as a, a temporal participle, as you go, wherever you go, make disciples on the way, the journey of our lives as is depicted in our Great Commission window. And by the way, we put the Great Commission window at the back because we wanted it to be the last thing we see as we walk out the door every week. We enter to worship. We depart to fulfill the Great Commission. We saw last week the whole world is in His hands and God is reaching out to the world. There's also, if you look closely at that picture, there's a sailboat and it, it sort of describes for us that journey that we find ourselves on. Jesus says, I want you to go. After the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts 1-8, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we see in the book of Acts the unfolding of that plan. And God literally has to throw his disciples out of Jerusalem through persecution to get them to go. So Philip finds himself in Samaria and begins to lead the Samaritans to Christ. And some unknown disciples from Cyrene end up in Antioch. And they found a church there. They establish a church there where even the Gentiles become believers and the uh, disciples are first called Christians there. And the Apostle Paul finds himself on ships, on missionary journeys, going around the world. And I want to invite us to be a missionary church. And if we say, well, I just don't have time. I just don't have energy. I just don't have power. I just can't. Listen to what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and earth resides in me. You go, therefore. You are authorized by the only one who has authority to go. I wonder how many of us have found ourselves on mission trips. Could I just ask for a show of hands? How many of you have ever been on a mission trip? So that's a good number. My, my dream would be in years to come, today's the 11th anniversary of the first time I preached at Tallowood, but someday many years from now when the Lord tells me to hang it up, I, I, my prayer is that I'll ask that same question and everybody in the room will raise their hand because I know if we go on a mission trip, it's not just what we're going to do there, but what God is going to do in us on that trip. We've got a trip to Portugal. We've got one uh, to Israel. We've got a group that's been in Mexico. It, there are many opportunities, but until you decide to go on one of those, could we just make a covenant together? a pact if you will we are on a mission trip together for the rest of our lives wherever we go Jesus says as you go and you say well I just don't have the power to do that I think about this lady who sort of swept the world through YouTube Susan Boyle who was invited to come and sing a song on Britain's Got Talent the sort of equivalent of uh, the uh, the American Idol and uh and so she goes to sing, and by her own admission, as she's introducing herself, she's, she's unmarried, she's unemployed, uh, she is, by her own admission, unkissed, she just has her cat that she lives with, and everybody thinks this lady is one of those who's just not going to make it. This is some kind of joke, some ruse that the, the, the organization is playing on the audience, and then the music begins, and she begins to sing, I dreamed a dream from Les Miserables, and... It is absolutely breathtaking, amazing. 
And we wonder, how is she able to do that? And I look at this woman and her story and and just what's happening in her life, and I'm reminded, you can't always read a book by its cover, can you? And what if a person accepts the invitation and becomes who they were always intended to be? This is Christ's invitation to us. And if we say, well, I just can't possibly do it. How can I make disciples? Pastor, I would be very uncomfortable making disciples. Here's my word to you from God's word. All authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go, move, go, and and, and trust in His power. I mentioned last week Dawson Trotman who founded the Navigators. And Trotman, um, in 1948, went over to Europe, post-war Europe, and he was speaking to a group of believers there, and he was preaching on this very passage and inviting them. He said, you not only need to become disciples, because by the way, the only people who can make disciples are disciples, and beyond that, you'll only make the kind of disciples that you are. And he said, you all need to become disciples, and then imagine from your country sending out missionaries to the world, and they sort of chuckled and said, that's impossible. And he said, why would you say that? And they said, well, some of us don't even have the Old Testament. Imagine, we don't even have the Old Testament. How are we going to make disciples of all nations? And In the United States, you have, you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Most of us just have the New Testament. And he said, well, exactly what testament did the disciples have when Jesus made these statements to them? The New Testament hadn't even been written yet. And he said, yeah, but you've got all kinds of evangelical books. He said, well, what kind of books did the disciples have? Yeah, but in the United States, you've got cars. We ride bicycles around. You're so wealthy, and we don't have any resources, so we just ride bicycles. He said, well, bicycles hadn't even been invented when Jesus told this to the disciples. Finally, one guy raised his hand and said, wait a minute. Our country has been occupied by an enemy force. You in America don't know what that's like. No, no enemy force has ever occupied your country, so you don't know how hard it is for us. I mean, we, we're, we don't even own our own souls. And he said, well, I know when Jesus spoke these words that the great Roman Empire had sent their force to occupy Palestine. Now, any more excuses? And they didn't have any. And we are not paralyzed. We are not immobilized. We have all the authority. Listen, listen to the word of the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We must believe this, that we have the power for transportation. We have the power to move. And we have the power of consecration. We have the power, He says, when they become disciples to baptize them. I want us to catch that because I want you to see who is being baptized. This is believers' baptism by immersion, the 400th anniversary of Baptist this year, and this idea that baptism is by immersion and that it is for believers only is deeply rooted in the teachings of Scriptures. They didn't baptize people before they became disciples. In a few weeks, we're going to be here. Susan's going to help us, and, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to dedicate families to the Lord, but we never confuse that with baptism. And here's why. Because in the New Testament, those who are baptized are those who have actually become followers, disciples, learners about Jesus Christ. And when we become disciples, then we are prepared to be baptized, to follow the Lord in baptism. We've been having conversations about baptism in our home. We, we had those years ago. Remember when our boys were little and, and they were baptized as they became followers of Christ and and I had the joy of doing that. I was ice skating at Memorial City recently with uh, Casey, and we were talking. And she said, did my mom say whether or not I was baptized? And I said, oh, you know, um, she, she and I talked about that, and you, you were not baptized. And she said, as she thought about it for a moment, she's always thinking. She said, 
I guess my mom didn't baptize me because she couldn't baptize me. I had to think about that for a moment. I said, well, I guess that's true. And she looked up at me with a big smile and said, but you can. And I said, well, that, that is certainly true. And when that time comes, I will look forward to that. And we've been teaching her, and we wanted to take our new Christians class. And we were, we were driving during spring break to San Antonio, and she was just insistent. And so we were talking, and she came to that moment where she prayed and received Christ as her Savior. And we rejoice in that. And baptism is for those who've already made that commitment to Christ. And here's what I want you to see. This power is transforming power. Baptism symbolizes something greater than we can imagine. It's not some perfunctory exercise, but it is the very gospel itself enacted, acted out so that we are buried with him by baptism into his death. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. And we are raised to live a brand new life. One of my favorite young preachers these days is a young man named Francis Chan who preaches in the Simi Valley over in California. He used this analogy this week. He said, you know, just imagine yourself as a caterpillar. And all your life, you've only ever been a caterpillar. And what do caterpillars do? You just crawl around in the same little patch of mud for your whole life. Maybe you climb up on a twig or a limb, but mostly it's just mud. You trudge and you sludge through the mud. That's your life. And then one day you get a little bit sleepy and you decide you're going to take a nap. But before you take a nap, you make your own sort of do-it-yourself snuggie. And you just sort of surround yourself. And then, and then you go to sleep. And sometime later, you wake up. And what goes through your head if you're a caterpillar? Because your whole life, you've been crawling through the mud. And you look, and as the kids would say, you look and you say, Shut up. I have wings. I can fly. Your whole life, you've been a little roly-poly green worm. And now you got wings like a monarch butterfly and you can soar. This is the power of transformation that we symbolize in baptism. Remember what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any person is in Christ, is that you? If any person is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. This is the power that Christ has to transform. And you say, where does the power come to take a person who's dead in their transgressions and trespasses and sins and raise them to life and the answer is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the whole power of our whole God the whole triune God becomes ours as we become disciples of Christ and he transforms us John Wesley said I want the whole Christ for my Savior I want the whole church for my fellowship. I want the whole Bible for my book. And I want the whole world for my mission field. And God has invited us to join him in the greatest enterprise of all. To be those who are disciples, who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we have to baptize. And God gives us the privilege also in our window. is a picture, if you look underneath the anchor, there's a picture of the Bible Because we are to teach all things that Christ commands us. Notice how comprehensive that is. We don't just teach a few things. We teach all things that Christ commanded us. Imagine this teaching ministry. And this has been a big part of of Tallowood through the years. And we need to do this well. We need to baptize. I think that's the great challenge for Tallowood. We've done a little better, I think, recently at the teaching than the baptizing. We've got to do both very well. But teaching is important because baptizing, evangelism in and of itself, if it doesn't lead to the teaching which grows people up in Christ, doesn't make fully-fledged followers 
of Jesus. We need to make disciples. And to do that, we have to teach. Stuart Briscoe, who pastors up in Wisconsin, tells about a, a mission trip he was on. And, and one night they took him, literally in the middle of the night, to a dilapidated building. A hundred students were there. And he was to preach to them. And he was teaching through an interpreter. John chapter 15, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask what you will, it will be done for you. And he was teaching them about abiding in Christ. And while he's teaching, the lights begin to flicker. And then they go out. And it is completely dark. There are no windows. There are no lights. And the interpreter says, keep preaching. Just keep preaching. And he thinks, I don't have my notes and I can't see my Bible. But he continues to preach. For another 20 minutes or so, he's teaching them this. And then the lights flicker and they come back on and he's astonished. Because everybody in the room is on their knees. And he finishes his sermon and they're all on their knees and he leaves. And he asks the interpreter the next day, what was that about? And he said, we had never heard that teaching before. And we wanted to be sure that we were abiding in Christ. And I wonder if that's who we are. It reminded me of Acts chapter 17, verse 11. That picture, you know, after Paul gets run out of Thessalonica on one of his missionary journeys and he finds himself in the town of Berea. And he might expect there that there would be this sort of reluctant, recalcitrant crowd sort of resisting the gospel. But instead it says, the people in Berea were more noble because they eagerly received the message and they examined it to see if it were true. And I invite us to be noble like that. Let's be that kind of church that eagerly receives the word of God and then examines the scriptures. And I hope every week you will take what I say and test it against the Bible. And where I disagree with the Bible, please defer to the Bible. Don't take me over the Bible. But to the extent that what I say is the truth, please put it into practice. Because these are the things that Jesus not only asked us to do. These are not options like leather seats and a six-player CD on your car. These are things that Christ commanded us to do. All things that Christ commanded. Think about what Christ said. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a command. Love the Father with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, we're to love one another. This is what Christ has commanded us to do. Now put these commands into practice and you will be disciples who make disciples. We got a call this week, a sort of minor catastrophe from our son who's away at college. He, he lost his wallet of all things and he was very upset about it. And I said, well, you know, we learn from these things. After all, what was in your wallet? I mean, your debit card, we have to put money on that for you to have money. So if somebody takes it, they'll run out of money pretty quickly because we haven't put a lot of money on there. He said, yeah, that's right, Dad, but I had $150 in my wallet. I said, what did you, why did you have $150? I said, well, okay, that's okay. I mean, you had a lot of money. You, you learn a lesson. You lose $150, that's, you know, you learn not to carry that much money around with you. He said, Dad, it had your credit card in it. I said, Dad, now, now what was my credit card doing in your wallet? We've got to find that wallet. <laughs> Call the Baylor police. Let's get on this. And so he, you know, gets on the phone and later that afternoon he gets a phone call and, and somebody has turned his wallet in. And he's so excited about it, you know, and I said, man, you just better pray my credit card's in that wallet, you know. And so, you know, we're ready to cancel all the credit. And he goes, he goes over there and sure enough, my credit card is there, his debit card's there. $150 are still in the wallet. It's like, wow. He said, dad, who, who turns in all the money? I said, I don't know who it was. I, do you know? He said, well, I don't, they were anonymous. I said, I don't know who they were. But you be that person. You be the person who lives that way. Because don't you appreciate their integrity? 
Now you live, and I can just imagine some Baylor student walking by, you know, follower of Jesus, disciple of Jesus, finds a wallet, $150 in it, and they're standing, literally this is where they found it, in the shadow of the Tidwell Bible building. You know, it's kind of great pressure. Whew, I better turn this in. And they did. I don't know who it was, but I'm glad they did. And I want to be that kind of person. And I want to invite you to be those kinds of people who are fully fledged followers of Jesus Christ. Because I have no illusion that you and I are God, but he is still God. And he says all authority is his. Therefore, we are to make disciples by going everywhere you go this week, by baptizing, by teaching. We are to make disciples. And in the words of my cousin Herb Brooks, he's not really my cousin, but that coach of that Olympic team, you were born for this. No, you were born again for this. God made you for this purpose that you might make disciples everywhere you go this week. See yourself on mission, making disciples, bringing people to Christ in relationship so that they are baptized and teaching them all things that Christ commanded. And here's the promise we'll look at next week. When we're doing that, we have the greatest power in all the world and the greatest purpose in all the world. Here's the greatest promise in all the world. When we're doing that, God is with us, and we begin to live a with God kind of life. And who wouldn't want to live a life like that? You you were born for this. Make disciples. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of serving you. Thank you that you have made us for a purpose, that you have given us life, and we have been born again for a purpose, to make disciples. And God, help us, I pray to implement your great power, to accomplish your great purpose, starting now, starting today. In Jesus' name, amen.